It's great to be together. We're looking again at this theme of together. That's our theme for the year, and and we'll be starting a a campaign. Um, thank you, appreciate. It. We'll be starting a campaign um, in March, looking at this idea of renewal, renewal, and again this, but under the theme of together, but renewal, and but so until then, we'll be looking at a few more ideas of together. Um, uh, currently, a, quite a few of the teen disciples are actually away at the UK Teen Disciple Retreat. I'm sure they're having an awesome time. And, uh, and also the Vassells are up in Glasgow. They're uh, with the church there, uh, worshipping and teaching up there. So please be praying that they have a safe trip back. Um, we also have uh, the, the North Family Group. Uh, North Family Groups are meeting in Sutton Coldfield Friday night at Clifton Youth Centre at 7pm. Um, and so make a note of that. Um, also, we have uh, a special announcement. We have Chris and Bernie from the London Church. If you guys want to stand up. They're visiting from the south side, I believe. So that's awesome to have uh, brothers and sisters from London here with us. And of course, let's, let's keep uh, Derek um, in our prayers and also the family, that just God will comfort them and also really work um, in awesome ways. But, um, but again, today we'll be, we'll be looking at uh, this idea of together, but, but specifically this idea of one vision together. One vision together. Vision has always been an issue for me. And you may not know that. Because I wear contact lenses. I fooled you all. But I have terrible... If I had my contacts off, I'd barely be able to see you guys. You would just be all blurs. I wouldn't be able to... Maybe, but no, I probably wouldn't be able to pick out who you are. My eyes are terrible. And, but I didn't actually even know that they were bad. It wasn't until university when my parents noticed I was always squinting. At the TV, at everything. And, and I, I didn't even realise that my eyes were bad. And just because it was that slow fade, that slow fade over time. And, uh, and eventually, my parents, after they realised it, well, you've got to go get your eyes tested. And so we did and got my eyes tested. And, uh, and finally, at the age of 18, I got a pair of glasses. But I can still remember that first time of putting glasses on. If, you, if that's been like for you, you'll know what I'm talking about. Where you're just like, oh my goodness! This is what I've been missing out on this whole time? That's what you look like? Even for me, it was like, that's what I look like! But it was like a miracle being able to see again. And, and if there's one thing that we can leave from today is that having one vision, having the right vision as a people, as a church, is a miracle and it's a blessing. And so today we're going to be looking at, at really this idea of, of... Acts 2 was kind of like a great example of what people with vision look like, but we're actually going to even look at, at an example from the Old Testament of what it looked like when people didn't have a vision. And just to be able to see their example and to say, okay, let me not do that. But uh, so we're looking at the nation of Israel. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 
And up until this point, the nation of Israel had come out of Egypt. They'd been in slavery for around 400 years. They'd escaped by the grace of God through the parting of the Red Sea. And, and then they were in the desert, wandering for 40 years. And this was a period, if you've read this before, a period filled with complaining, grumbling, not trusting God, not trusting Moses who was leading them. And it was just a mess. And here we come in at Deuteronomy chapter 1 in verse 1. And uh, basically we see, um, we see sort of this moment after kind of 40 years and 11 months of wandering up since leaving Egypt. And it says in verse 1, it says, These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness, east of the Jordan. That is in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran, Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Disahab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. Don't know why I told that, but that's a fun fact for you. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, the 40th year, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, and at Edri had defeated Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighbouring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev and along the coast, to the lands of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates. See, I've given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land. The Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and to their descendants after them. Again, 40 years of travelling in the desert. And you get to this point and Moses, he says, he says, you've stayed long enough. The time has come to leave the mountain. And you, you kind of wonder what, what had been going on for 40 years of getting to this point. The Israelites, they've done multiple different things, but they've definitely fallen into a very predictable pattern. Years of going around in circles. They had little more to look forward to other than some quail and manna falling from the sky. That was about it. And, and, and years of, of going around in circles and, and, and some of the stuff they looked forward to was Mount Horeb. And that's probably why they were there for so long. And, and to them, this, this mountain would have been like a landmark. They would have seen it a lot seen it often and, and places that we see a lot and see often we can feel comfortable so this would have been comfortable secure it was home but it was also a reminder that that they were wandering that they were wandering around in circles and so our first point is is divided vision divided vision and and you imagine, as, as children grew up with the nation of Israel during this 40 years, you can imagine them saying, but, Hey, Mum, Dad, didn't we pass that mountain? <laughs> Every year on, on your birthday, there's Mount Horeb, the birthday mountain. 
And, and, and why, why do we keep just going around? What's, what's going on, Mom? What's going on, Dad? Well, yeah, we, we want to go into the promised land, but, but we haven't. And you just imagine the, the confusion day after day, year after year, traveling a lot, but going nowhere. And then this big moment comes that we read in Deuteronomy 1. Time to enter the promised land. Finally. And so they, what do they do? If you know the story, they send 12 spies into the promised land. And, and here we'll, we'll read, um, if you guys want to turn with me, um, to Numbers, we can't really read it, Numbers 13, verse 26 to 33. Here we'll read what, what happened when the spies came back. In Numbers 13. Verse 26 says, They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We've, we've even saw descendants of Anak there. And the Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land. But we can certainly do it. But when the man who'd gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land was explored, we explored, devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. The report that these 12 spies bring back after 40 years, you think... We're so ready to go. They go in and they they even have that moment of, it's true. What God says was true. Milk and honey. But here we we see this divided vision. Because they trust God with that, but then they say, but I don't think we can actually take the land. Even though God has said that we can. They had this divided vision. Vision, And then if you look down in, in verse uh, 1 of chapter 14, reading from 1 to 2, it says, That night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Then going down to verse 6, it says, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, how do you say that word? Who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land 
because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Epic speech. Surely, but... Verse 10. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of God appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. Wow. Again, there's this hope, this struggle, this divided vision of where we should go, what we should do. And, and then in verse 20, the Lord replies in, into response to their divided vision. He says, I, I've forgiven them as you asked, but nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory in the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one has treated, no one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb had different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I'll bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route toward the Red Sea. Man, it's this, this sad story, isn't it? Where these, these people, they were so close and, and yet there's that moment where they say, we can't do it. We don't trust God with this. And so God says, alright, well, time to go back out into the desert. And you think, oh my goodness, this divided vision and it spread and it split the people apart. And, and, and I think that the people really liked the idea of the milk and honey part, as we read, but, but were scared and sort of faithless. And you see, I think the trouble was they didn't actually have the right vision. Most of the Israelites got caught up in the vision of milk and honey and not the right vision that God actually had for them. And, and we see what this vision is in Exodus 19. It says, Then Moses went up to God, this is in verse 3, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you were to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you were to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And he goes on to say how there's chosen people, a royal priesthood. But, but right here I believe this is the vision that God has for them and, and for us. That last little bit to be brought to be with God that, that's the vision that, that they lost it was about the milk and honey and not about being with God it was way more about just the promised land it was about being with God it was never supposed to be a place but that one vision wasn't wasn't just about great times in the promised land. It was, it was that they were going to be God's people, His chosen nation, His, his royal priesthood, His treasured possession. And, and they, lost, they lost sight of that and they just saw all the difficulties. And, and the hard part is that the price of that faithlessness wasn't just like one punishment or, or just death or anything like that. It was a slow death of one whole generation for 40 years walking through the desert. People just waiting for that generation to pass on. 
And it's this sad moment of them just kept wondering. No dreams, no faith-building acts, simply waiting out their lives for the next generation. Again, the issue wasn't that they weren't busy. They would have been busy. They would have had marriages still that they would have been doing. There would have been uh, children born. There would have been um, things to take care of, tents to set up, all that sort of stuff. So they were busy, but, but beyond those daily duties, they just wandered. Instead of God being Lord, I believe routine became Lord. And, but in Deuteronomy 8, it says it shows that God actually took care of them. He, he still sent manna and quail down from heaven. And you think, wow. So he did, it wasn't that he didn't care. He still loved them so much. So he wasn't punishing them by taking away that stuff, but he was punishing them in the sense of, well, not punishing them, more disciplining them to show what a life without vision really looks like. Wandering for 40 years. And it's amazing because he didn't say, you know what, you didn't go on the promised land, no more food, no more uh, manna, no more quail, gravy train's done, you guys are off. No, he's not like us, that's something that we might do, that's something that I might do. But by God, he still loved them. But he wanted to show them and he wanted to teach them a lesson that life without vision is hopeless. And I think the saddest part is that there were people in the crowd in Israel who actually wanted to go in. And you think about imagine, imagine Caleb. He comes back, he's like, guys, we can do it. I know we can. We're not that great, I get it, but God is awesome. God's promised us. He's like, come on guys, we, we can do it. Let's take the promised land. And all the grumbling happens and then God says, all right, turn him back around back out into the desert. And Caleb just been like, no! I don't want to go back! I've spent 40 years there. Let's, let's go! Let's, let's do this! But, but no, it, it wasn't just about some of them having a vision. It was about all of them having the vision. We all need to have the vision. Don't think it doesn't matter about me. It matters about each and every single one of us. Don't, don't think it doesn't matter if, if well, I'm going to come to church, but I'm not going to sing. Just, no, no, no. We, everyone must be in that together. Don't think it doesn't matter. I'm going to come to church, but I'm not going to fellowship. I just, just want to be away. No. We're all in this together. Don't think it, it doesn't matter if, if you don't build healthier relationships in the church. That's far, No. Don't think it doesn't matter if, if you don't share your faith. No, each and every one of us needs to be involved. We can't have divided vision in the Birmingham church. We, we must have one vision together. Secondly, my second point is, is what, what fuels your vision? What fuels your vision? Coming out of, of slavery in Egypt, the Israelites faced some pretty challenging things future, present, but even the past. So you think about being in slavery for 400 years. That's definitely going to leave you with some emotional, physical and spiritual baggage. I think of 
soldiers who've gone out into war. And, and recently some of the brothers and I went and saw uh, The Post. If you guys know, it's about the Washington Post and about um, the Vietnam War and America trying to cover stuff up. And anyways, but... Sorry, America. Sorry, Nick. Um, but... But I didn't know much about it, really, about the Vietnam War. And as I sort of started finding out more, it's amazing seeing what those in the Vietnam War went through. And, and you, you hear about they It was just a mess. They didn't even know where the enemies were. They were just shooting wherever they sort of heard and saw guns. Like, they, they would be camping, and then all of a sudden they'd be camping on one of the enemy's like, hideouts, and they'd be ambushed at night. That, that, it got to the point where they couldn't even sleep out of fear of being ambushed. And, and those who did make it back came back with so much emotional, physical, spiritual baggage. So I think how much more after 400 years of slavery? Wow. The baggage. And then, but then they had even fears of the future, not just the past. Fear will the manna and quail stop coming. We're in the desert. It's not like there's much food around here. Will, what, what's going to happen to our children? Will Moses lead us to another place where there's no water? They had challenges of the future and the present and the past. But, but they also had plenty of miracles as well. You think about it. They'd seen daily provision from God. I mean, imagine, imagine, picture, imagine seeing manna and quail drop from the sky. That all you had to do to eat was to literally just like stick your hand out of your tent and just catch one and in you go. That, that's never going to get old. Like, that's unbelievable. So they'd seen some awesome present um, miracles. Their past miracles, parting of the Red Sea. God destroying the most powerful nation Egypt wow they, they've seen the past as well and then there was the, the present or present and the future but even um, in the present the, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and the cloud which was this confirmation of God's presence so they had the miracle knowing that God is with us and, and it's so funny though because if you've read you'll, you'll know that so often the Israelites say where is God <laughs> Um, the, the, the cloud that, that followed, it's been following us for about 40 years now you haven't, you haven't noticed that yeah the one that never goes it's always there we're not in the UK so we don't under constant cloud cover so that doesn't explain it away that's, that's God and, and that pillar of fire the, the one that we don't go too close to but it's there it protects us it, that, that's God they saw God's miracle every day. And, and you know, all of us can, can recount challenges. Challenges that, that we've seen, heard, issues, burdens, baggage from the past, mistakes that we've made that, that, that maybe have scarred us, even haunt us sometimes. Mistakes or things that have happened to us by others that, that have left us hurt, and, and with baggage then we also have difficulties of, of the present as well job issues, bills to pay and, and recently our window on our, our back car actually 
it was stuck in an open position. And in, in the UK, it rains like 98% of the time. So you can't have that. You need the window all the way up. And so four, 485 pounds later, it was fixed. And I was like, ouch, this hurt. I should have gotten more advice about where to go. That's, that's a lesson learned. But, but that's just a, a small thing. But, but then there are more serious issues of the present. Mortgages that feel like they're crushing us. Bad credit that may be chasing you around. A bad exam mark that feels like... Will this get in the way of me getting that job? Health problems that can just be heartbreaking. Difficulties in relationships that, that feel like we're just all alone. We've all been through something. We all have issues and baggage. But you know what? We've also seen God do amazing miracles. Haven't we? Present, past, and we know from his promises the future as well. You think there's every one of us has got stories of God pulling you out of a situation that just felt hopeless. And, and you know there's no other answer other than God. And then there are stories of, of salvation. And it was great. We, we spent time with the Gravers and, and getting to hear Chris, uh, Chris Graber's uh, conversion story. He was studying in Austin at a university, for those of you who don't know, and, and he got bumped into and people invited him to Bible discussion and, and he wasn't interested, but he said he'll go anyways just to get them to leave. And, uh, and anyways, but it wasn't that day. So two days later and thought he'd probably escaped. And then... And then those two guys again were on their way to Bible talk and they bumped into him again. <laughs> Said, hey, we're on the way to Bible talk. Do you want to come? Okay, I guess I probably should. <laughs> Didn't want to, I believe. And, but, but went, was blown away by God and here he is, a disciple, married to a disciple with kids in the Birmingham church. Amen. And that, that's just one story. We all have those stories. And we can't forget the miracles of the past. And we also have God's presence, kind of like them, now, through the Holy Spirit. And, and you think, man, God was so awfully close to them, wasn't it? Like, the fire, we kind of think, that's epic. How great would it be to have that? To be, oh, I just would love that. Then I'd really, really, like, be committed. But, but God's like, you guys now have me inside of you. I, can't, I don't know what to do. I can't get any closer. But, but how often do we think about that? I mean, God has put His Spirit in us. He's with us wherever we go. Through the good and the bad. Again, the Israelites had forgotten the miracles and only focused on the challenges in life. What is fueling your vision? Challenges, hardship... Or, or great miracles that, that God has done, is doing, and we know will do. Guys, we need to cling to God through these times. Uh, whatever you need to do, write them down, put them on a wall. Whatever it takes to never forget. But we need to be fueled by God's miracles and His love. And finally, maintaining your vision. Just quickly, just want to look at, at two things that I, I want to leave you with that, 
to maintain that, that vision. And, uh, and the first is in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. It says, Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Think one practical, don't harden your hearts. Cling to God's word. But not just just clinging to it, but, but that we're determined to do what it says. I think sometimes we think an awesome quiet time is when we've gleaned all these fascinating facts about the Bible. This and that, and I look at my... And we, <laughs> a happening quiet time is when we read something and then we go do it. Yeah. That's what, what God is fired up about. Yeah. Okay, it doesn't matter if you don't know the Greek. It doesn't matter if you don't know the Hebrew. That's okay. If you read it and do what it says, God is so excited. Because it's that idea of we're not hiding our hearts, we're not in dis- disobedience, we're, we're listening to the word and we're following it. And I think even this idea of hiding your hearts is kind of like, and we've all would have felt this, that those moments where you have that urge, where you think, I should reach out to that person. Have you guys had that? And I should reach out to it, but then you remember that you're an expert about reading people's hearts. And you remember, That's right. This person's definitely not open. I can tell. I've foreseen it. We've all had that thought though, haven't we? we think, no, don't hide my... Let, let the Spirit work in those moments. Or, or someone challenge you on maybe some sin, which I'm sure we've all had as well, and, and we know we should repent and change, but I didn't like the way it got said. Or, I, I get that, but... But don't harden your heart to God. Let's not harden our hearts to God. If we're to have one vision together, don't harden your heart. And finally, passionate prayer. We read this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So convicting, this passage. Seeing the way Jesus prayed. And what I think is even more convicting, it wasn't like during, the da- during a day of his life, during the days of his life. This was a frequent thing. That his prayers would be filled with, with petition, with fervent cries, with tears. And, and God heard because of his reverent submission. Guys, I think so often... We can lack passion in our, our prayers. And I know for me, looking back at the last couple of weeks, I've lacked a lot of passion in my prayers, just being a, a tick of the box type thing. And, and, but why do we lack passion? Looking back even in my own time, why have I lacked passion? Because I've kind of lost that trust and faith that God will actually work. So it's just like a little tick the box, hope, hope, hope that works. But we know where that ends up leading us. Because we stop praying. I guess God just isn't going to do it. I've been praying for my family for for 20 years now. I'm tired of praying. What what have you given up praying about that you think, 
No. Let, let me cry out to God. Not just in the really tough times, but even in the good times when I'm praying for someone else. Let, let's get that heart of passionate prayer. Guys, it's time to start again. We all need to be in this together. Not just some of us, because back then Moses would go into the tent of meeting and he would pray, and, and I'm sure some of the other people would sort of pray as well, but, but generally we would see them, they would just sort of they would stand up as he'd go into the tent of meeting. and So it seemed like they respected his relationship with God, but not that they had that sort of passionate relationship. Obviously they, there was a different role for sure. Moses was a special, but, but still... They could, they could cry out to God as well. Not just about situations, but about their hearts and lives. And so we all need to be in it together. Not just some of us, each and every one of us. Praying together for one vision. Guys, it's, it's, I think it's really easy to, to judge the Israelites, isn't it? We, we, we look at their story and we think, how could you go so far and not make it? I'm sure we've all, if we read it, we thought that, haven't we? How could you not make it? But then I think God sometimes looks at us and says, you've come so far. How could you think about not making it? How could you think about giving up? He's like, don't. Please. I beg you. So I pray that, that if you're going through hardships, trials, that you will remember God's miracles. Not to just stuff the, the bad away, no, but, but, but to, to be a reminder that God is powerful and that He loves us. We all need to be in this together. Not just some of us, but all of us. To have that one vision for the Birmingham church that we will be with God and that we will spread that message to the lost world. And we will see God do amazing things in the Birmingham church. If together we have one vision, amen. Amen.